0: Hi, this is Daniel Levine. I wanted to extend an invitation to our Rarecast listeners to join us for an upcoming Global Genes webinar I'll be moderating on Leveraging a Rare Disease Center of Excellence. As many patient advocates continue on their journey to become empowered activists, some may want to consider starting a Rare Disease Center of Excellence. This webinar covers how this can be done, what the obstacles and challenges are, and whether there are other options they should consider. The webinar is free and will take place June 1st at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. To register, go to globalgenes.org forward slash June 2015 webinar. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. MPS-1 is a rare genetic disease that is incurable and lethal by age 12. Seattle-based ImmuSoft thinks it can harness a key part of the immune system to manufacture a missing enzyme needed to treat the disease. It represents a broader effort on the part of the company to develop a platform to treat a wide range of diseases by turning immune system cells into drug factories. We spoke to Matthew Schultz, CEO of ImmuSoft, about the company's work, the process for programming these cells, and how the inspiration for its approach comes from the computer industry. Matthew, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, we're going to talk about ImmuSoft and its efforts to program cells within the body to produce needed therapeutic proteins. But let's start with MPS1, a rare disease that your initial efforts are targeting can you describe what MPS1 is, how it manifests itself, how it's diagnosed and treated, and what's the prognosis for patients?
1: Yeah, so uh, MPS1, or, or Hurler syndrome as it's also known, is a lysosomal storage disease in which uh, patients are, are missing an enzyme that normally lives in the lysosomes of their cells. And this uh, makes them unable to break down uh, long sugar chains. And uh, the result is these uh, sugar chains build up and eventually kill the cell. And uh, the patient, it's lethal uh, typically uh, by uh, age 10 or so if it's uh, not treated very well. And it can be treated uh, two ways. Probably the the most prevalent and effective one these days is with uh, hematopoietic stem cell treatment. But typically they have to do that before the patient's two and a half years old. Uh, They can also do enzyme replacement therapy where they basically produce the enzyme recombinantly and then inject it into the patient. And that involves uh, a three-hour-long infusion about once a week. And that's uh, typically done either in uh, just milder cases of the disease or uh, before they get the marrow transplant. But It it won't prolong their life that much in and of itself.
0: Well, you came to drug development through a background in computer security, the uh – Company's name even sounds like a software company, and the initial idea behind Imusoft was inspired by high-speed cryptographic so- hardware. C- can you explain the inspiration here and the connection?
1: Yeah, uh, so back uh, early on, when first getting into this, I was uh, really interested in how vaccines work and how uh, if you get a vaccine, suddenly a disease that used to kill you won't even be you uh, well that's kind of odd, you know, in that nothing. Fundamentally changes about the the body or the pathogen, but uh, this this information, it, it learning how to, to kill the thing in advance, uh, makes all the difference in health. And so I, I got curious as someone from computer science. Uh, we will if there's information somewhere, you know, where is it written? You know, in, in what language is it written? And where does it hide? You know, where's the hard drive basically? And uh, so, uh, and as I kind of dug a little bit more into the adaptive immune response, it struck me that the way body attack the pathogen is not that different from the way a computer would attack a password if it's strikes back a password. And so I got to thinking, well, maybe we can use some of this high-speed cryptographic hardware, these code breakers, to basically evolve the immune system and so on, to to leverage the computational power of the planet against the virus. And then you could build an antibody, for example, that instead of binding to one strain of the flu would uh, bind to the entire family of it. Say, okay, well, no matter how you mutate this viral, it will either cease to be functional or my antibody will work. And uh, as uh, I kind of went down this path, it became apparent that cells don't have USB ports. And uh, this, This is probably readily apparent to anyone in biology, but uh, back from the computer science perspective, if the body is driven by information, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is let's manipulate the information, and uh, and your body can turn a hand sandwich into flesh and blood in a matter of hours, and that's pretty amazing. It it does us all these genetic instructions. So this idea to manipulate information in the body seems hugely valuable. And at that point, we basically shifted our focus and abandoned the computational aspect entirely and and just focused on developing a tool to program the human body.
0: Well, your your interest led you to some work by the Nobel laureate, David Baltimore, that involved programming B cells to produce therapeutic proteins. What are B cells and what makes them well-suited to this task?
1: So B-cells are a kind of, they're a lymphocyte, a white blood cell and a moon cell. And uh, the reason they're attractive specifically is that their general mission in life is to produce antibodies. And as such, they become optimized factory cells. They're some of the best protein producers in the body. And they also can have a very long lifespan. And so... If you uh, get a vaccine or you get sick, uh, typically uh, you get a whole bunch of these white blood cells, they expand and they attack the thing and then they go away. And uh, uh, a small subset of them remain and they will take up these survival niches, primarily in the bone marrow in our case, and uh, and they will exist forever basically. Their half-life is about 17 years in practice, but they will just sit there and produce their antibody nonstop at an incredibly high rate. So this seemed like an ideal system to hijack if you want to turn yourself into a drug factory because they're already a drug factory. We're just giving them new instruction.
0: And why start with MPS1 as a target? What was the thinking there?
1: Well, we actually had started with HIV, and that was what David Baltimore was doing, and we kind of... Uh, so David Baltimore developed a system to program hematopoietic stem cells and then culture them into plasma cells. And that process took about 10 weeks. And it wasn't ever really intended to be clinically viable. It was more of a research project, I think, at the time. And uh, when we licensed it, we modified it to work with uh, just B e cells floating around your blood. And that allowed us to drop the time required down from this, you know this 10 weeks to about 10 days. And, uh, so, uh, when we first did this, we stuck with, uh, HIV, um, just in an effort to, to approve the concept. And HIV is actually a really good, uh, target for it, I think, as well, because there's these powerful antibodies that no one can elicit with a vaccine, but they can keep people have them alive for a long time. And, uh, but as we started kind of going down the regulatory path, the, uh, enzyme replacement in general became attractive. And, uh, partly because they, uh, they have a easier regulatory bar, um, there's not very many people who have them so uh, and they're really horrible diseases so the FDA uh, will let you go through to approval with fewer patients which is attractive and also these uh therapies are incredibly expensive, you know, to take uh, alderazones around a quarter of a million dollars a year. And so the ability to produce these things uh, with your own cells for free is, is really attractive. And the, the nature of our platform allows us to really make anything we want um, by just changing the gene sequence. And so this is this is kind of, a, it's a subtle difference, but it's, it's a really powerful one in that if you make an enzyme, if you make alpha-ligeronidase, uh, you have to uh, you know, figure out a way to to produce it but to purify it and to stabilize it and you know get a ship and inject it with a, a system like ours your own cells produce it 24 7 so you don't worry about any of those things and so if you had a another enzyme for another rare disease that no one's even made as a treatment but you know the gene sequence for it we could conceivably make cells secrete that too and so you could actually skip the entire process of building the injectable pharmaceutical and, and go directly to programming your body
0: well, what is the process for programming these cells? It, it begins with the blood draw, is that correct?
1: Yeah, we do a blood draw, or you can do apheresis to collect uh, more blood cells. But uh, you pull them out, and uh, we use something called a sleeping beauty transposon to modify them. It's uh, a vector that can make permanent changes to the genomic DNA of the cells. And actually, when we started, we used a uh, lentivirus to do this. So, but it, any, any tool that will make the permanent change would work in our case. And, uh, then, uh, we expand the cells. We make about a thousand times more of them. And, uh, we mature them in the culture system out until they become a plasma blast, which is the kind of immediate precursor to the fully matured plasma cell. And we put those cells back into the patient. And then they will migrate on their own to these survival niches and complete their maturation into plasma cells and, and hopefully stay there for a long time.
0: Well, uh, you mentioned before that these cells have a very long half-life. How durable is the effect? Do, do they reproduce other cells that have the same therapeutic protein capabilities or do they have to be at some point?
1: These cells are, are kind of unique in that they actually don't proliferate anymore. And so uh, if you look at, say, the, the CAR T cells, which are another kind of cell therapy that's been featured prominently in the press these days, um, those cells expand drastically in vivo, and it makes them a little hard to predict, and uh, th- those are used to treat cancer, and they are pretty much a one-way ticket to either wiping out the uh, cancer or, or wiping out you, um, and so these cells that we put in do not divide anymore. They just are very long-lasting, and so they, well, in theory, will just produce this treatment indefinitely. Um, the, of course, we haven't put them back into humans yet, so <laughs> with this caveat, but that's, that's what they do in normal biology.
0: Well, one of the other things you've done is also program a way to turn these cells off. Can you explain that?
1: Yeah, and we'll likely not be including this uh, right away because it adds additional complexity to it that has its own regulatory issues associated with it. But uh, basically, it's a inducible suicide gene. And so it, it might sound odd, but cells have a, a very developed way of killing themselves. And so uh, they uh, will, you know, frequently even are no longer needed, they will self-destruct, or if they get damaged too badly, they, they'll either self-destruct or the immune system will kill them. And uh, there's a series of uh, molecules in the cell that cause this uh, process called caspases, and they call it the caspase cascade. It's a, a death pathway. And so what have done is put an inducible version of that into the cell with our payload. And so you could take a, a drug that otherwise does nothing, but it will cause all the modified cells to uh, die immediately.
0: M- MPS one is only a starting point for you. How, how broadly do you see this technology eventually being applied?
1: I think it can be huge. I mean, our our interests go well beyond this. Uh, of course, other enzyme replacement therapies, I and mean, we look at this as a platform and want to make it as broadly available to anyone as possible. So, you know, we're frequently approached by by scientists and physicians who have a, a molecule that they'd like to deliver, either, either one that's already known and, and used. Judically, or one that's uh, brand new. And uh, we, our goal is to make this available to everybody. Um, I think some of the longer term applications for us are going to go into things like uh, atherosclerosis and hemophilia. And uh, uh, we're actually taking an interest in some of these things to, to rebuild muscle that is lost with age. And so, basically, uh, the, if you look at the population in the U.S., I think there's supposed to be 55 million people over the age of 65 by 2020. And uh, this is going to have a, a serious impact on the health system. And the more you can make people uh, you know, physically well, the the less they will be a burden on the health system and, and the happier they'll be.
0: And what's the advantage to, to this approach to programming a, a patient's cells to produce a, a needed therapeutic?
1: Well, I suppose uh, in I guess the, the simplest or the most superficial is you don't have to inject something all the time, and you don't have to buy the drug all the time. So you're treated, you know, once or maybe a handful of times to, to build it up to whatever level you want, and then you're good possibly for life. Um, but uh, beyond enable enables treatments that really aren't feasible or, or even possible with other technologies. I mean, there's some molecules that have such a short half-life or so hard to produce that they're... They were abandoned before they even made it into products, and uh, with a, a platform like ours, you could make yourselves produce these things. So, I think uh, at the simple end, you're getting you know better pharmacokinetics, more stable doses, without getting poked all the time, and uh, on the farther end, you're you're enabling treatments that really aren't even possible.
0: Well, you've had some high-profile backing, including Peter Thiel and Tim Draper. Where are you in terms of funding the company, and do you expect to use investor backing to advance a pipeline, or rely more on a partnering strategy?
1: Well, we're actually uh, raising money again right now. I, I suppose it's the life of a startup—you never really stop that. Um, we're definitely taking in more private money, um, but we also we've received uh, and continue to apply for uh, NIH grants and that kind of thing. And, our, uh, our goal is to partner this off with pharmaceutical companies, to so basically for any indication. So if you wanted to produce you know, a new hemophilia treatment, we could say, okay, well, we'll give you uh right to the platform and make it work for hemophilia, and then you run with it. So ideally, we'd like to partner early and often is our strategy.
0: Matthew Schultz, CEO of ImmuSoft. Matthew, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening.